Lecture 12, Sodom and Gomorrah. It has always amazed me how the Bible speaks. It speaks into your life, into my life. It seems to relate directly to what is going on around me in a way that I could never orchestrate myself. This is one of the many ways that I have come to understand that it is the living word of God, not because it is some kind of stagnant rule book that I must follow, but because it is literally alive. To read scripture is to listen to God speaking and arguing and wrestling with and through humanity and the earth, and it initiates a dialogue between us and God. We are in the dark and penitential season of Lent, And remarkably, in this course, and through no design of my own, though I wish I could take the credit for being this smart, we have some of the darkest and most controversial pieces of Scripture in the book of Genesis to cover in these next few weeks. It is the perfect season for us to look into the darkness at what some scholars have called texts of terror. Yes, these passages from the Bible are scary, and they raise grave and serious issues about our relationship with God. Today we walk down to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I have walked down to these cities. They are located in the desert by the Dead Sea. They are literally the lowest cities on earth, the deepest. The Dead Sea has no life in it because its salt content is so high. The heat is oppressive and the land is barren. It's a scary place. And as you walk down to Sodom, there are huge pillars of salt all around. It's no wonder Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. The question is, which one was she? I remember distinctly feeling more afraid in this area than anywhere else in Israel. I think it had to do with the oppressive heat and the air, which felt thick, as if there were more pressure upon me. I felt almost trapped out there in the heat with those salt pillars all around me. It was a place of death, of stillness and weight. Abraham has just welcomed the three strangers who are somehow God. And these strangers, angels, trinity of persons, have proclaimed that Abraham and Sarah will have a son. As they are leaving his encampment after a nice meal, Abraham and the three gaze out from the hilltop over the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the three wonder to themselves if they should share their plans with Abraham. You see, God is planning to wipe out the entire city. What is the role of humans with God? God created us, and certainly God can also destroy us. But are we somehow included in the decision? Do we have a role to play in our own destiny? Can we affect our own salvation, change the nature of our relationship with God? Are we partners in a covenantal relationship, or are we more like the animals, helpless at God's mercy and not ever consulted about our existence? Does God warn us or consult us or share with us some of the divine thinking? God determines to do just that with Abraham, not to treat him as a child, but to treat him as one who is a colleague, to share with him plans. God decides to allow Abraham to enter into relationship with God in a new way, not just as the obedient one following God, but as a trusted advisor, even perhaps a friend. The men decide to consult Abraham. They decide to enter into a relationship with him and include him in on their plans. They confide in him. 
the men say these words to Abraham. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah, how great their offense is very grave. The Hebrew word for outcry, tsoak or saak, is associated with the shrieks of torment of the severely oppressed. It is used in both the prophets and the Psalms. It is the cry of the desperate, the howling or screaming of those who are terrified and in pain. This is no joke. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah are being tormented. And this is what makes God angry. Their screams reach God and anger God. I am reminded of hearing the screams of a child in need. When Max was just two and he broke his arm riding his rocking horse, I was in the other room when I heard this shriek. It was different from any other sound that he made. It was piercing and scary. And I was right there, ready to destroy that rocking horse and anything else that might have caused him pain. God heard these cries, the cries of absolute desperation, and they made God angry as a mother would want to destroy the one who hurt her child. God wanted to stop the violence, to eradicate the oppressed and the pain, but God wanted to do this by destroying the entire city. It seems that one of the three angels stays with Abraham to talk while the other two descend into the city. When the angel or God-man with Abraham, confides his plans for destruction, Abraham begins a strange dialogue with this man. Abraham bargains for human life. He refers to himself as dust, as unworthy of having this discussion with God, and yet, nonetheless, he has it. He asks for mercy for the sake of first 50 people, then 45, then 40, and then he goes crazy and descends by tens all the way down to 10 people. If there are ten righteous people, will you really destroy the city, Abraham asks. The Hebrew word for righteous is the same as the word for innocent. Abraham is appealing to the love that God has for humanity. Instead of focusing on the evil and the cruelty, what about focusing on the good? What about the innocent? What about those who are doing things right? Aren't there still some good people in the world, and shouldn't we allow them to live? Abraham talks much more than God in this interchange. At each juncture, Abraham talks about his unworthiness to ask, but then he asks again for mercy. And God, in a brief comment, grants mercy. Meanwhile, the other two angels have walked into Sodom, where they come to the home of Lot, Abraham's cousin, who traveled with him from Ur of the Chaldeans. Lot has taken up residence in Sodom, and Lot is a good man. The whole scene of the strangers arriving at Lot's house has many parallels with the visit that they just paid to Abraham. Both Abraham and Lot are sitting at the entrance when the strangers arrive. Lot's entrance is the city gate, whereas Abraham's was the opening of his tent. Lot can sit at the city gate because Canaanite cities had a room or chamber at the gate. Here people would convene to talk, argue, and administer justice. The gate led to the town square where the men of Sodom later gather. But as Abraham sat in the entrance to his tent, Lot sits at the entrance to the city, whereas it was noonday when the strangers arrived at Abraham's, it is dusk when they arrive at Lot's, a much more precarious time of day. When the strangers arrive at Lot's house, he too, like his kin Abraham, offers them hospitality. But it is not long before a crowd of men come to Lot's door demanding that he send the strangers outside 
so that they can know them. These are not just some of the men of the city, but all of them, from the old to the young. The people of Sodom want to rape the visitors. It is a horrific act of violence, the very evil antithesis of hospitality. It is a prime example of why God wants to destroy the city. Lot appeals to them as brothers in order to talk some sense into them. For centuries, the sin of the city of Sodom has been associated with homosexuality. God's vengeance and anger was thought to be directed at the city because men were sleeping with one another there. This is not at all the case in the Hebrew. No, these voices of torment are people who are being beaten, raped, or murdered. This is akin to the cries of the Jews in Auschwitz. God is responding to human agony, to terror, not to homosexuality. Why has Sodom become associated with homosexuality? Because when the three men come to stay with Lot, the men of Sodom come to the door in order that the guests be shoved out onto the street so that they can know them or rape them. And certainly rape is an act of terror and a means of oppressing human beings. But there's no indication in the scripture that it was the gay nature of the rape that incensed God. It was the brutality of the whole thing. And when Lot volunteers to throw out his daughters instead, I want to throw Lot out himself. Later in the text, Lot will unwittingly sleep with those same daughters. They will take advantage of him in a sick turn of fate. The whole interchange is deeply disturbing. But we must remember that women were not considered human but property, and there was a code of conduct that was instilled in Abraham and in Lot that the honor of the guest and the importance of hospitality overshadowed even the love of one's family, for God himself could be your guest in disguise. And this does turn out to be the case. Lot's hospitality literally saves his life and the life of his daughters. It is only his wife who dies because she's unable to resist her own impulses and her curiosity. The word sodomites will come to be synonymous with gay men. It will be used to condemn, punish, and even kill gay men. The fire that came down from heaven to consume this city was seen as evidence of the hell that all gay men would enter because of their behavior. The tragedy of all this is that the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah were brutally hurting, raping, and even killing their citizens, and all that violence is forgotten in an effort to condemn gay men. The angels, or godmen, pull Lot into the house, and then things get really weird. They blind the men of Sodom and tell Lot to leave with his daughters. Lot goes to his other daughters, who are married, and begs his sons-in-law to leave, but they laugh as Sarah laughed, and they don't believe that the city will be destroyed. Lot lingers, and the three men literally grab his hands and lead him out of the city with his wife and his daughters. Just like Noah's flood, God rains down destruction from this time in the form of fire. Lot and his daughters are all that remains after the destruction, and Lot, just like Noah, gets drunk and lies exposed after the traumatic experience, and his daughters take advantage of him to create more offspring for their line. We are left wondering if they should have been destroyed along with the people of Sodom, but the daughters are in a horrible plight as their value lies only in their ability to have children, so they do the unthinkable to survive. They take advantage of their own father. It is surely a text of terror, this story of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
but also frightening is the way that we have used it to continue to oppress and hurt others. May God forgive us, and may we learn lessons from this scripture. Questions to ponder. Number one, do you believe that we have a key role to play in our salvation or in the salvation of others? Can we, like Abraham, beg for God to be merciful to others? And number two, how have you seen the story of Sodom and Gomorrah influence the culture and perceptions surrounding homosexuality? Is this changing today? Is it enough? <laughs>